0: Welcome to episode 53 of the Tech Done Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. On this episode, we're talking about tribal knowledge. Developers and teams build up a lot of knowledge about their application and their procedures, which never gets written down and which makes it harder to get new team members up to speed. Our guest this week is Annie Sexton. As a support engineer for Heroku, Annie has to deal with not only Heroku's vast amount of knowledge, but also the unwritten information of many of her support customers. We'll talk about the practical things Annie recommends to help make this knowledge explicit and how your team can improve its group memory and team onboarding. We'd like to hear from you. Is there something your team has done to write down the things that everybody knows? Let us know at techdonewriteio 53 or on Twitter at tech underscore underscore before we start the show, one quick message. TableXI offers training for developer and product teams. If you want us to come to your place of business and run an interactive hands-on workshop, I would very much like to do that. Topics range from testing, to Rails and JavaScript, to agile estimation, and more. Also, if you're in the Chicago area, be on the lookout for monthly public Tech Done Right events starting in early 2019. For more information, email us at workshops at tablexi.com, or hit us on the web at tablexi.com slash workshops. And now, here's my conversation with Annie. Annie, would you like to tell everybody who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Annie Sexton, and I am a full stack developer of about five years. And I currently work at Heroku, and I am a core support engineer.
0: Right. Annie is here because Annie gave a talk at RubyConf, uh, what, about two, three weeks ago as we record this? Yes. About tribal knowledge and onboarding. And I really wanted to talk about it in some more detail. So why don't we start here with, tell me what you mean by tribal knowledge and why it's a bad thing for a long-term software project.
1: This is definitely a passionate subject for me, but tribal knowledge is that information that we keep in our heads that isn't really documented. It's knowledge that belongs to our quote-unquote tribe, aka our team, but it's not necessarily documented, right? And this is problematic for a couple of reasons. Number one, it creates bottlenecks. So I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, somebody new comes onto the team and then they need to be onboarded and they don't know where to search for the answers they're looking for. And so they're constantly having to tap people on the shoulders saying, hey, where do I find this? What does this button do? All that kind of thing. And that breaks people's concentration and um, causes distractions. And that's not great. And on the flip side, if you're that new person and you have to be the one to I say, quote unquote, wake the sleeping dragon. That's no fun. That like that's intimidating and no one likes to be in that position. The second problem to tribal knowledge is that it creates liabilities. And this is a lot easier to ignore because it's not a big red, you know, flashing, you know, red light that we think about too often. But when those people leave, the people that have that tribal knowledge. You're not in a great position, right? Because if if they leave, then that's valuable information. That's just gone, right? And in support, I see this, unfortunately, a lot of the times. I see in worst case scenarios, it's like a a credentials issue, right? The tribal knowledge is the credentials to an app on Heroku, and they can't get access to it. And, um, we can't really do anything about it. So there wasn't a good handoff, but I've also seen situations where you have, which I'm sure a lot of developers can relate to. They, is they inherit some legacy code base and they have to sort of parse their way through it and figure out what does what because there's no real documentation. And that's the liability there is that you, you have this loss of information and something I didn't talk about in my talk that I also think is worth mentioning is I think there's a bit of a psychological risk uh, when you have all this tribal knowledge. When you have a new person coming onto a team where there's a lot of information they need to learn, it can reinforce that imposter syndrome when it seems like you're on a team where everybody knows the answer except you. And so that's why I think it's so, so important to have this information documented.
0: Right. To have a structure where a new person can come in and go, oh, they don't expect me to know everything. They, they have a process in place for people who don't know everything yet.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: One thing this makes me think of is just the definition of legacy code, which to me, legacy code is, is code that you have lost the context in which it was created. And a lot of the times that context is not written down. And as you said, like it's just sort of this tribal knowledge or this lore that gets passed from person to person. And as people leave or just move on to other projects, like they don't have to actually leave your company to have you lose context, it becomes that much harder for new people to pick it up. And it, it is, you know, like a lot of the worst problems in software development, it creeps up on you so slowly that you don't realize it's a huge problem until it's really too late to have done anything about it
1: that's totally true and i was thinking about this before we started recording but you know what what i like to encourage people to think of tribal knowledge as is i think as developers we're very aware of the risks of technical debt right we understand that if we cut corners if we do things that you know the cheap and fast way then over time those will add up and we you know our future selves will <laughs> will be angry at us for it right and we understand that and so To the best that we can, we try and avoid those things. And I think if we can have the same mindset for tribal knowledge, then we're really going to get somewhere. I think in most teams, it's going to take a bit of an initial push, right? Like a big old spring cleaning initiative where you go through and you document things that need to be documented and just you know attack that like any large project you know just one bite at a time but if we really give that initiative the priority that it deserves which is you know documenting what needs to be documented then you're really setting yourself up for success and to help your team scale in the future
0: so a lot of times this kind of discussion sort of drifts into hand waving like you should capture things but you said in your talk, you mentioned some specific things that you do at Heroku to help onboarding and to help capture some of this tribal knowledge. And I'd really like to know more about that.
1: Yeah. So in my talk, I I prescribe two different uh, methods for dealing with tribal knowledge. So there are basically two steps to addressing tribal knowledge. The first thing would be to have some kind of crash course, um, which is a relatively short number of articles that I suggest people write for people who are being onboarded. And this is sort of the basics it's the getting people up to speed with just the basics of what they need to know to then go and self-serve to go and then self-educate the rest of the information now the the meat and potatoes of your documentation should be in my opinion in one knowledge base which in my talk i just call that the knowledge base so you have your crash course and then your knowledge base which is a much bigger repository of knowledge at Heroku, we actually have something that we internally we actually just call it the knowledge base. To our customers, it's just the articles that we have on our help site. But these are super, super helpful articles that are very easy to make. Any engineer at Heroku has the ability to create them and edit them as needed, and they're just little one-off articles that we create if we noticed that, oh, you know, I noticed that a lot of like apps that were using G-Unicorn are running into these H-12 eras. And why is that? And why is it specific to Heroku and what to do about it? Little like one-off pieces of information that can help a lot of customers. We will write and add to our knowledge base. In my particular case, our knowledge base, our documentation is public facing because that is the nature of Heroku. But it obviously doesn't have to be this way with other teams. You can just have any tool you like. And I do not prescribe any particular tool. I think it, it's really up to the team. But as long as you have one location, that this is the source of truth for documentation for your team, and you make it really, really easy to update these articles, then that is how you actually can cultivate a library of knowledge that people can go and refer back to. And because it's so easy to update and because it's regularly updated, people trust that information as well.
0: Yeah. I think making it easy to update is very, very important because if you, if it's not easy to update, then it becomes just another like burden and another thing that people just aren't going to do. One thing that I I recommend or I've seen teams do is like take advantage of new people in this context, that a new person onboarding to your project is a really good opportunity to see the weak spots in your documentation. And so often the idea is that a new person's first like pull request back to the team will be updating the setup documentation, for example.
1: I totally agree. I think that having the perspective that uh, new hires are the ones with the freshest eyes and learning what you can from them, tell us what you think is confusing tell us what you think could be improved was it clear how you were supposed to learn this that kind of thing and in fact this is something I regularly do anytime we hire somebody new since creating um, this crash course for Heroku support I have actively reached out to our new hires saying like hey please let me know if if anything is confusing we're always looking to improve this because they are the ones who have the freshest perspective and it's for them really
0: yeah. And it also helps with, as you were saying, like that, that overwhelming feeling. I think some of which comes from the idea that they expect a person to know all this already. You know, if you're asking what are the things that are confusing, like where is this a problem? That can really help people feel like, oh, it's okay for me to not understand this all. It's okay for some of this to be confusing because I can help make it less confusing for the next person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, so I used to be a teacher and I think it's the teacher in me that whenever I see a really steep learning curve for anything, I instantly want to go and like mow it over and like smooth it down (laughs) and make it easier because I know how much that impacts people. It's a really, when you have a steep learning curve, those are the kinds of things that make people think that they are the stupid ones, right? When in reality, like, nah, it's just a tough, you know, wall to scale, Um, It's quite high up there. Like with my particular job, the term drinking from a fire hose is frequently used when you're first getting started because there's just a lot of stuff to know. The nature of my particular job is that we basically have to be the experts in the Heroku platform. We have to have the most breadth in our knowledge. And so there's a lot to learn. And so you may be a Postgres expert, but if you don't know about, you know, SSL and DNS records and all these other things, it can be really overwhelming. And it can make you think like, oh, I am really not qualified. When in reality, it's, it's just a lot to know. And that's understandable. And so if you can create documentation that acknowledges like, yeah, hey, this is a lot. Just take it one step at a time. Then that's going to really alleviate that imposter syndrome.
0: One thing that I have suggested to teams or have found helpful is to try to find ways to capture the things that you are already doing rather than imposing on your team a new burden of documenting stuff. To do your existing work in such a way that you produce artifacts that can then be saved, or at least to save the things that you are coming up with, to save um, notes from architecture meetings or drawings of model diagrams. If you're drawing your model data diagram on the whiteboard to uh, show new people, take a picture of it, and put it in your repo, that kind of thing. Michael Feather somewhere advocates like having the architects or the team designers like sit down and just videotape themselves for five minutes, talking about the rationale for the decision. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that anybody would ever like watch that, but I think that it's a relatively low barrier way to to get some of that information down. I don't know what are some other things. Are there other things that you recommend or that your team actually does to keep this stuff up to date?
1: So to keep these things up to date, probably the best technique that I've seen us use is this use of an, of an expiration date. We always give articles an expiration date. So after, I think it's three months or so, we mark the articles in our knowledge base as not necessarily expired, but like up for review, right? Right. Because you can write an article and you can say when you updated it, but if you don't know when that information is relevant or not, it's like it's like if you bought milk and they just put the date that they milked the cow. It's, you're like, well, can I, can I drink the milk? Is it safe? I don't know. And so if you give these articles an expiration date, that, that can help uh, ensure that they stay up to date more. But I really, really liked your idea of having more informal documentation and, and sort of baking that into the workflow. Because I think that when people think of the word documentation, it's like you have to have a header and use heading two and, you know, have it nicely formatted and nicely organized and stuff like that. And I, you know, despite being somebody who really likes to organize things, I actually think it is not at all necessary that this stuff is super organized or even like well how do I say this? It doesn't have to be beautiful. It can be really like a pile of notes on napkins, right? I think that's fine. I think it is so much more important to have that information somewhere. And then like, if it really becomes hard to search through it, then you can go and fix that later. But having that information is so much more important than not having it at all.
0: As long as it's searchable.
1: Yes, as long as it's searchable. Yeah, so maybe notes on napkins isn't the perfect example, but but uh, you know having something like that, just actually capturing the information and indexing it to the best that you can, uh, is is really really helpful. But having getting people in that mindset of it doesn't really matter how you document it. Ideally, it's in one place, but just do it frequently, and that's really going to help.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, to the extent that you can make this part of like your regular process, like it's like testing, it's like deployment. It's just like, does this pull request change anything about the way we do things that needs to be written down? And if so, why, why do we do that? You know, it's starting just from like code comments and moving upward. We've started doing things like putting code comments. uh, When we have a regular expression in the code, we link back to a rubular page that's preset with the regular expression. So you can see it like that's, documentation of a sort, but it's really easy and pretty useful.
1: Yeah. I think just starting with notes in your, in your, excuse me, comments in your code is a great place to start. And it's a really easy way to, you know, it, it doesn't really take you the developer out of your flow, right? You don't even have to, you know, go into markdown mode to write anything. You just It's just, you just tack on a comment and, and that's great. Um, so if, if that's a gateway into doing more documentation, then I say, go for it. Yeah.
0: And, and I feel like the part that gets lost a lot and the part that never gets commented, two things, one of which is like, why? Because that doesn't quite seem to fit in a code comment often. Uh, like we did this because we looked at like two alternatives and this one was faster or something like that. You know, this code looks weird, but we did it for a reason. Is a code comment that I don't often see. And the other thing that I feel like is really easy to lose is sort of an overview of how a group of objects is supposed to work together or how like a concept works through the course of a system. So like I, I'm currently working on a system that 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 has a essentially a, a what is effectively a wizard, but there's essentially like a state. And the way that the various objects in the system interact with that state, like that's a high-level concern that doesn't necessarily fit in one particular comment, but if you can capture two paragraphs of it somewhere, then it really helps somebody unlock how the whole system works. It's kind of an important thing to, to get down.
1: Right. And I think that you know, while I did just say, it's better to just document anything in any form, and I stand by that. But if you want to just take it one step further, I do think that there's a time and a place for comments and a time and a place for proper readme files and actual documentation. And true, I, comments are a great place to put things like, hey, this looks weird, but this is a workaround because X, Y, Z. Those are the kind of comments that I put in or you know, I'll, I'll have like a brief description of what a method does or, does or something like that. But then documentation is where you would ideally want to have those higher level overview explanations of how your objects interact with each other and how they're related. That is where you you kind of need a place where you can step back away from the code and say, this is how things are connected, that kind of thing.
0: I have a couple of floating thoughts. One of which is this kind of relates to, to the talk that I did at RubyConf about complexity, which is that one of the reasons to some extent why we don't write these things down is because we kind of become immune to the complexity of them from working with them. I don't think it's malicious. Like I don't think people often set out to say like, this was painful for me, so I'm going to make it painful for you. I think it's more like, this used to be painful for me, but it's not anymore. And I don't even notice that this is something that is going to be confusing and needs to be written down. And And this is why I think another reason why talking to, to new people on your team is really important because having to defend the complexity of the systems that you've gotten used to can be embarrassing sometimes <laughs> uh, if you've made bad technical choices, but it's also a good way to check your own work and your own Sort of immunity to your own your own decisions.
1: I, yeah, I totally agree. It's <laughs> the analogy that comes to mind is, you know, thinking back to when I was a teenager, and I just had such a messy room, and my parents were like, "How do you navigate your room? How do you even like get to the closet?" And I was like, "No, you just like hop here, and then you hop over this thing, and then you do a backflip, and then then you can get to the closet, right?" And in my head, I was like, "Oh, it was fine. I could I could navigate it," but it was totally impractical, right? And I think we we get immune to that, as you say, when we are we have learned to deal with the chaos and just navigate it that way when in fact it might not necessarily be the best way.
0: Yeah. And I think this goes beyond the concept of tribal knowledge and the concept of lore and things that don't get written down is not just specific to projects. I think there's a lot of it in sort of general developer culture, for lack of a better term, where we all have rules of thumb or we have things that are rules of thumb as a community a really good example for a long time was like Ruby's styling rules, which have relatively recently, thanks to Rubocop and standard and things like that, have have been written down. But for a long time, it was just it was very implicit, and you would look at a piece of code, and somebody would say, "Well, that doesn't really look Ruby-ish. and somebody else would say, "Why not?" And you'd be like, "Well, you know, we just don't do things like that." So it's not just like in a project level that it it helps to write things down. It's also true of developer culture in general. And I think that everybody can make some contribution here to writing down things that they see that other people have trouble with uh, and and putting them out there for other people to find.
1: Yeah. When we can take a second to really think about why we do it the way we do, not just because that's how we've done it, then we know that we're actually going to be making the best decisions because we actually understand the reason behind it. But I think it's easy to forget about that and not think about it when you're comfortable in it. And it is no longer, it no longer feels complicated.
0: So let's talk a little, let's talk a little bit more specifically then. Like, are there specific tools that you use to capture this information that you recommend people use? How do you do it?
1: bit of a can of worms, this question, but the the truth is it totally depends. And I have looked into so many tools for documentation. And the truth is it's the best tool is the one that works that, that the most people on your team will adopt. I've said this before that your knowledge base really should exist in one place. I think this could be Google Docs. I think this could be GitHub. Um, As long as it's easy to use and your team is willing to actually use it. Unfortunately, everyone is going to have a problem with every tool that you use. I'm sure many people can relate to trying to adopt one tool for documentation or one tool for project management. And some people have a problem with it. Some people don't. And it is, I mean, almost impossible to get people to completely agree on something. But this is where we have to take a step back and say, okay, but this is a workplace. This is where we have to have some level of cooperation. This is where we need to learn where we, can, where we can bend and where we can compromise. Because if we are just catering to everybody and using a thousand different tools, then nobody is served by that at all. So as hard of a decision as it can be for some teams... You have to pick one. You have to pick one tool and stick with it. Don't try and cater to a lot of different people. It just doesn't work. Now, that being said, Salesforce, the company the you know, the the company I work for, Heroku belongs to Salesforce, right? Salesforce uses like a thousand different tools for documentation and productivity and all sorts of things, right? So I think that there is a level of there's a size at which it may not make sense to use one place for your documentation, but I think that You know, with a team of, I don't know, under like, I'm sort of pulling this number out of thin air, but I don't know, 40 people and under, I bet you could stick to at least one system. Once you get bigger than that, it's going to be very, very difficult because after a certain size, people stop communicating with each other and they don't have as much of a connection with each other. And so it's much harder to get people on the same page using the same tools. But I would say within a development team, whatever size that might look for for you if you can get everybody on the same tool, that is where you're going to have success because it just doesn't work when you're having to, you know, scatter all of your information across like Google Drive and GitHub and Dropbox and all sorts of things.
0: So what do you look for in a tool? Like I can immediately think like to me Google Docs doesn't feel structured enough. I mean, you can make it work, but it feels like it would be a pain and it also doesn't handle markdown which to me would be mm-hmm. problematic. Yeah. But like what what are some other features or or things that I might not think of immediately that turn out to be pretty useful for this kind of thing?
1: So if we're going to assume that we're talking about a, you know, documentation for primarily developers, I think markdown is pretty essential in the knowledge base that we have. It's it's a custom built tool which I I don't recommend most teams build their own tool for this, but we use markdown to To me, that's essential because then you can have code blocks and stuff like that. It's a lot clearer.
0: I mean, I guess you could basically at that point almost just have a GitHub repo with a bunch of markdown files. You
1: totally could.
0: And it would be very close to just working.
1: Yes. It has to be searchable. It has to have, in my opinion, markdown. There are two things at play here. I've I've heard people have the the same complaints about Google Drive, that it's not structured and that's where documents go to die, which I can totally understand. I think that there's a solution to that.
0: That's our advertising solution.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Where documents go to that.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I don't actually agree with that, but I think that there are some parameters you need to put into place because there's the tool that you use and then there is your, your system with which you use it, the rules, right? If you keep all of your documents in this one particular folder, then I think that can give you some structure. I think that there is a way to to use a tool like Google Drive with a, a more traditional file system and make it work. Because there's the tool and then you always have to find a system, a pattern, a workflow that's going to work for your team.
0: I will say my experience is, is that if you're working with non-developers on this, that non-developers often find GitHub uh, intimidating, at least at first, although we've it's, it's actually not super hard to get people up on it. And they're likely used to Google Docs. Um, and that can be a big advantage. Like if you're now in sharing, like for instance, we are now in sharing with a client um, and it's basically on a big Google Doc folder. And that's great. They're comfortable with it. We're fine with it. You know, if we made them put everything in GitHub, they would probably balk.
1: Right. Going back to that point I made about it, making it easy to update. If part of your documentation is going to be accessed by non- Technical individuals, and the only way to update the documents is to make a pull request. Then you're doing it wrong, (laughs) because you know they're not. They're going to even if they could figure it out. You don't want to add that layer of friction. It's just it's not helpful.
0: Yeah, I I I can totally see that. One other point that I think is probably worth making here is that Slack does not count. (laughs) No, (laughs) as documentation, even as much as they want it to. I think Slack like would really like you to believe. And by Slack, I mean any kind of like chat tool, the chat tool that you're all communicating in. Like that is not enough to be your your repository of knowledge.
1: Right. I totally agree. And in fact, as much as I love Slack, I have definitely, um, you know, gained a few gray hairs trying to search for that one code snippet that somebody shared about how do I time the SSL handshake and how do I test that out? And, you know, some little tidbit that somebody has shared with me, but I didn't do my due diligence and make note of it and actually document it and having to go back and search through Slack where everyone used the word SSL handshake. I was like, ah, <laughs> and I, it was so hard to find. And that's usually my cue to grab that snippet, immediately make a knowledge-based article for it because it's, it's not a good place to keep documentation.
0: Right. It can be like the driver for the need to ha- to make documentation, but it is not the documentation in and of itself. And you frequently don't realize, like Slack would probably say, well, you can just star stuff, but you don't know in advance that something's going to become important as, as it flies by.
1: Exactly. You really don't.
0: So I don't know, maybe, maybe what we need here is, is it, I mean, if there was, I was going to say like a plugin that pushes something to your Google drive or something like that, but that just seems complexity for complexity.
1: So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if somebody, paste it. I hope that somebody one day creates some tool that, you know, a Slack plugin that you can push stuff to your knowledge base. I think that'd be great.
0: Yeah. I wonder if there's something like that for like Evernote or, or some of those things that are supposed to be like Notepad. Uh, like I, I could ease, I could see a team. Coalescing around like Evernote or something similar mm-hmm. uh, for this kind of rec- like Evernote takes in a bunch of multimedia. Like, I, I've always found it a little overly fiddly to use myself, but it takes in a bunch of different media types. It's it's pretty flexible, it's taggable. Like, that it, it would seem like it would have a lot of the capabilities if, if you only know, had some sort of team repository there, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, which is made for like acquisition of content. Mm-hmm. Um seems like that might be an interesting approach.
1: Yeah. I do admire the Evernote is very much geared towards, do you have a video? You can put it in Evernote. Do you have a website? You can put it in Evernote. Do you have like literally anything? You can put it in Evernote. And I do kind of admire that. I'm kind of with you on the, I think there's a little too many bells and whistles at this point, but it's a tool that if, some, if my team said, this is what we use for documentation and that I, I would find a way to work around it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I would kind of shrug and go, okay, like I guess... <laughs> I guess this is what we're doing now. It wouldn't cast off any alarm bells, I guess. All right. So we figured out what tool we're going to use. How do we like make sure that we have time to do it? How do we convince other people that this is an important part of our jobs, even though it's not coding?
1: Before I worked at Heroku, I worked at um, a web design agency in San Diego. And one thing that I really liked that we did um, for, for most clients was when we were estimating the amount of time that it would take us to build a site, we factored in time to document it. This was just part of the process and it wasn't it was basically non-negotiable. And I loved that because it actually gave us the time. It didn't feel like this thing that we had to squeeze in. Because the problem that I see with documentation most of, in most situations is that it's such an afterthought and it seems so unimportant because it's not urgent right? And because it's not urgent, it falls to the end of the to do list. But if we give documentation, it's it's rightful place. And we actually allocate time port, then that's how we can actually make sure that it gets done. I, I think that with any particular project, if there's zero documentation, then there's going to be, you know, an initial effort that has to be done. You know, if you have a lot of documentation that isn't, written down, and you need to take care of that, then that should be a project in itself. That's a place where you need to start and break that into smaller chunks and allocate time for it. But then moving forward, whatever you're building, if you can bake in time, then that is how you can make sure that that documentation actually gets written down. And this is something I think developers can really push their managers on. Um, If they are not the ones who get to decide their schedules quite so much, then this is something they really need to send to the higher-ups who, who have more um, say over what time is being spent where. If you illustrate to them how important it is to have things documented, remember when we onboarded this, this person, how it took like hours for them to figure this one thing out? Well, that wouldn't be an issue had we documented it, right? And so if you give them that evidence that this is really important, then they will be much more likely to actually give you the time to to do this work.
0: It sounds a lot like the arguments that make for refactoring or other sort of long-term, not-quite-urgent issues. It, it also occurs to me that, like, this is a good opportunity for just incorporating documentation into stuff you are already doing, you know, the outputs of meetings and things like that. And that way, it's just part of your, like, regular tasks. In, in a lot of the same way that, like, people did a lot more testing once testing became part of development. Yes. Um, it was just another, th- another thing that was part of delivering a story. Um, so you don't really need to break it out. It's just part of doing the work well. Part of doing the work well is making sure the next person can understand
1: it. I would love to see that mindset shift moving forward. The fact that testing is so standardized now, it's just, um, it's very, very common to just, oh yeah, and then we write tests. Even though tre- the, the tests themselves are not the code, right? It's not the application that goes zoom, but it's so necessary to have those things. Um, And, and, and history has shown that, you know, when you have tests, then things break a lot less. And that's a really important thing. And so if we start to have that same mindset for documentation, that is, I mean, that's, that's going to be game changing, I think.
0: Right. And that was a mindset that, you know, within my professional career, there's been a tremendous change in, how at least certainly within the development communities that I work in, I know it's not the same everywhere, but there's been just a tremendous change in how testing is perceived as part of a developer's job, perceived as just part of getting things done correctly, perceived as a non-negotiable part of developer work. And so, like this is a change that, that can be made, um, you know, if we want it to, and if it is important.
1: Right. Exactly. I think it can be a little bit difficult when you don't have concrete evidence. Um, it's really hard to measure the effects of a lack of documentation. I think it's easier, but still probably a little bit difficult to measure the effects of technical debt, but it's still quite difficult. So the best, you know, if, if at all possible, if you can make note of those moments when you realize I had to spend three hours trying to figure this out when really this was something that, you know, I could have looked up in like five minutes.
0: Right. Another thing we don't do very well is like plan for succession. Like people don't want to think about how the project's going to need to survive, you know, when they move on for whatever reason. So there becomes less of an incentive to document, but that becomes a real drag on development and it can become a real drag at a small company on or even a large company it can become a real drag on general output because it means that people get siloed into doing certain things because the knowledge is locked in their head. Exactly. So it's a, you know, it's a team wide benefit to be able to write things down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which makes me think of a bunch of things I need to go and write down. <laughs> I know. Done, done with this.
1: Oh yeah. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's totally true. In fact, when I was writing sort of the, the Heroku support crash course for new hires, the way I thought about it was basically how hands-off could we potentially be, right? I don't actually ever want to com- to, to make onboarding completely hands off. I think that's really impersonal. And I think you you need a place to have a, a human connection with, with the people you hire, obviously. But I think that if we have that mindset of, let's pretend nobody ever gets to talk to this new hire and all they have is this documentation, can they learn what they need to know? And that forces you into a mindset that really makes you think about all of those really steep learning curves and all those things that, um, are, are not incredibly obvious. Uh, I don't think this re- means you have to go and reinvent the wheel and explain you know, how the internet works or anything like that. But just ask your team, hey, what was difficult when you were being hired on? What was confusing? And then take that into account and document those things. Make those easier, more achievable stepping stones.
0: That seems like a good note to end on. Is there something else? Another, any other piece of wisdom or information that you uh, have about this that you'd like to say before we move on?
1: Honestly, we've touched on a lot of the stuff that I didn't even get to talk about in my talk. So this is, this is wonderful.
0: That's great. Where can people reach you online if they want to talk about this with you some more?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am Annie the Sexton.
0: Okay. And that's great. Thank you, Annie, for being on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Tech Done Right is on the web at techdoneright.io and on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right and is available wherever you get podcasts. The show is a production of Table XI, which you can find at tablexi.com or on Twitter at Table And it's hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter. The show is edited by Mandy Moore. She's at the Ruby Rapp on Twitter. And of course, if you like the show, telling a friend, a colleague, or your social media network or random people on the street or telling me, uh, that would all be very helpful. And a review on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts helps people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at tablexi.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.